0: Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at-scale application development, deployment, and management.
1: Hi everyone, this is Jennifer Riggins, and you are listening to the New Stack Makers. Today, I'm really excited to speak with Shanae Levin, who is founder and CEO at CodeC, and just an all-around awesome Silicon Valley product manager with a specialization in developer product platforms. We're talking today about all things devops corporate culture but really this whole idea of the developer experience and what we can do to you know not lose the developers when we have this massive tech talent gap but also how we can leverage technology and cultural themes and practices in a way that enhances the developer experience and happiness at work not contribute to what is an unending developer burnout. So how are you doing today, Shania? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Super excited to chat about this topic.
1: I'm super happy to have you on. Uh, I think a great way to start would be to tell us about your tech journey. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started my career um, fairly young and I
0: started a web development and social media company kind of way back in the day when kind of Facebook was just getting started. Um, and then I decided to kind of have a side hustle of a full-time job at the same time, um, and be a product analyst. Um, and so really into data and to, um, that job kind of led me into like my, my coding background, coding, um, macros for Excel, kind of way back in the day. Um, and so like, then, uh, after a few years of that Google called. And so, you know, when, when Google calls you, you go. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I spent four and a half, five years there. Um, my first six months was in ads. Um, but then I kind of happenstance fell into developer relations and, um, developer products and. Um, really fell in love with it. And I've been in developer products mostly ever since. I was at eBay. Um, and then I was at, I got really tired of big companies. <laughs> and so I was like, let me go try my hand at the startup game and uh, moved into a uh, product uh, at a small, you know, three person startup distributed graph database startup. Then I wanted a little something bigger. So I went to uh, be a product at Cloudflare. Um, and then I was senior director of product at Docker. Uh, most recently, I was VP of product at a developer-focused startup called Lob, which is an API for direct mail, and in between my Docker experience and my Lob experience, I decided to build CodeSy. and now I'm you know building this pretty amazing <laughs> company, um, which is some absolutely incredible people, um, and I couldn't be
1: happier. That's kind of the overall journey. That sounds like an amazing journey, uh, but tell us more about what CodeC does and what its mission is. Yeah, absolutely. So our mission is to um, help developers and developer
0: teams master the understanding of code bases. And understanding code bases is a really complex topic that I can basically talk about forever, mm-hmm. um, but it. Our code bases have become way more complex. We actually require developers to process and understand 100 times more code than we needed to have them understand 10 years ago. And with the advent of open source, with the advent of microservices, with the advent of um, everyone becoming a software company, there's just too much code for any one person to understand. And we absolutely need to be able to understand it. And also not only the people who code every day, but everyone else who touches the code base. So we are really figuring out a way to deliver quick understanding to everyone as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So our tool uh, in order to help with that is uh, we visualize a code base. So our app basically works like you plug it into your repo and in about 10 clicks, we analyze your code base and visualize it, all the files, folders, connections, um, that's automatically generated, it automatically stays up to date. So every time you make a change to the code base, this visualization, this map will be able to stay up to date. And on top of that, you can add any kind of architectural knowledge that your team wants. So labels, folders, you can add asynchronous walkthroughs, you can add um, all sorts of information. So that also stays in sync with your code so that If you decide to, you know, you're just starting in a new part of the code base um, or, you know, some team decided to make some change upstream and now you need to go figure out why is it breaking my area of the code, um, you can see those connections and and how it works and, and glean that insight as quickly as possible.
1: Sounds interesting as a potential use case for onboarding so everyone kind of understands. That's right. One of our main use cases is onboarding. Um, But
0: our grander mission around code-based understanding is essentially a root cause problem. So the industry as a whole, we've treated code as this like big black box. And so we built up this entire industry of tools around this big black box. So like poke it and like tell me when the black box is angry, alert me so I can go figure out why it's angry and fix it. Um, And although we help with onboarding, we also help with just helping to write the right code in general. And our tool essentially just breaks open the black box so that you can understand what's going on um, before you ever write any code.
1: And does that have any security questions or anything because people like their little lock boxes because they say it's harder for security. It's harder to hack then. No, I think my analogy around the black box is
0: a little bit different. The black box is to in order to understand how the code works, you need to read it essentially line by line. And Mm -hmm. then you need to build up a mental model in your head. And that's kind of what keeps people out. And the black box is... As far as security is concerned, we are super secure. It's all in the company's code base. And being able to visualize it really just helps the people working on the code base. But it's not really a security thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the estimates of developer burnout are like two-thirds. That didn't increase from in the pandemic. They're saying it was like maybe 62% before and then 68% overall. So it's not a pandemic issue. It's endemic to the tech industry. So we love this idea of developer autonomy and autonomous teams that allows developers to become their true creative selves. But then developers are in charge of so much. I don't know if the listeners have heard about this cybersecurity executive order President Biden signed a couple months ago, but basically it says developers are responsible for the code they're creating and the security of the code, even the code they did before the executive order was signed. So there's just so much cognitive load on the so-called. There's no such thing as a full-stack developer anymore. Probably not even a full-stack team. It's all, like you said, insanely complicated. But now developers are in charge of code. They're in charge of testing, releasing, CI/CD pipeline, documentation. As a CEO, how do you manage your own developer workload? How do you make sure they're taking time off and they're trying at so-called work-life balance?
0: yeah so um, our product actually really helps with this. <laughs> um We like to think that the cognitive load is due to the way that developers understand how to code, right like or how the code works in their code bases, and essentially, the way that we onboard to a code base, the way that we understand how it works and in order to modify it is simply by reading the code. You read it line by line and you build up this mental picture in your head. And there's so much code um, that building that mental picture takes a really long time. And every single time you need to modify the code, you need to be able to uh, do that same process. It's the most time consuming, tedious, torturous. Exactly. And, and a lot of people like before, like we, we, this is just the process. Like we just accept it, um, because it's the same way it's always been done. It hasn't changed in 50 years. Like the same way that, like, you know, you bet a punch card into a, an IBM machine and it reads it line by line. Like that is how we read code and understand code today. Um, and so by us being able to create visual pictures to summarize big, large groups of pieces of code, we just hand you that mental model on a silver platter. So you don't actually have to read code and build up the mental model in your head from bottoms up. We actually give it to you from top down. And so that in and of itself saves so much time and how um, we as as a company, save our developers time is one, we use our own product. But <laughs> two, we encourage our teammates to take time off. We are still a pretty small team, um, kind of in the grand scheme of things. So we encourage six weeks of time that we, we simply track. Like we technically have an unlimited vacation policy, but we as managers... Have a spreadsheet that we're tracking people taking time off, um, so that we can make sure that they are taking enough. We also try to balance that with, like, you know, our our startup goals, uh, so that you know we can actually deliver for our users. Um, so we try to have that balance. But for me personally, um, my workload as a founder and as a CEO, I this is not representative of my, the company. Um, but I definitely believe in like work-life equilibrium as opposed to work-life balance. And so like I learned about this concept from a book that I read um, by Shelly Archimbo of just like, it, it, I didn't have a word for it until I read that book. But what we tried to do is like combine things to be able to get all of the things in that I want to do in my life um, at the same time. So we went to a conference and then took a couple extra days to rest up after the conference and like tropical location we sometimes I take get my exercise in while I am in a meeting or sometimes I I think about my schedule for the whole week and on any given day of the week I might be really into work but on some days I might be really more focused on family and my dog right so like I try to (laughs) things kind of swing back and forth and that's really been kind of the only way for me to kind of balance is to not balance it if that makes sense
1: Yeah, you can't compartmentalize, especially when you are running a business. I somehow am impressed if you are also doing as you're telling them and taking six weeks off a year, running your own business and successfully, but that's great if you are. Well, so we attempt, we attempt (laughs) to take time off. Um, Whether we do that successfully
0: is a very
1: different question. (laughs) So you're obviously a scaling startup. How can you recruit in an inclusive and effective way? And how is your business model right now? Are you hybrid? Are you remote? Are you co located? How's that working
0: for you all? Uh, so we are 100% remote. Right now, we have about a third of our team just happenstance to be in the Bay Area. Happenstance, the, another third of the team it's located in Seattle. And the other third is kind of distributed all over uh, the world from Texas to Vienna. And so we don't have a hybrid. We don't have an office. We were scaling during the pandemic. And so even if we had an office, I don't know where it would be. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I don't think we'll have one anytime soon. But as far as uh, scaling a diverse culture, um, I have... I have some. I have thoughts about this. So I've I've seen it happen in in two ways. I've been talking to a lot of uh, founders about this, and for me, for our company, I've essentially worked at the, you know, a lot of a lot of startups <laughs> with cultures that I didn't that I didn't feel good about working in, and so I've had all of the things that I'm sure your listeners have had happen to them microaggressions. Like I've had, you know, people get passed up for promotions. I've had people call me things like all sorts of things. And so when I decided to build a company, not only did I think about what problem did I want to work on for the next decade, but I also wanted to make sure that I could build a culture from the ground up and have that culture be one that I would have wanted to have. In my entire career. And so we take our culture very much like a separate product where it's intentionally designed, where it's intentionally kind of curated every single day. And I, there's a couple of very simple key points. Yes, it's a, it's you know, an extra effort and it, it's work, but as we decide to grow and as we decide to scale, the, the frameworks and the points of the daily curation um, really help us to keep everything in check. Um, and so I'm happy to talk about those points if you'd like yes
1: yes yes <laughs> yes. yes, yes. They, they can't see in a podcast but i'm salivating and i'm like okay yeah yeah, yeah. okay tell me about these intentional daily steps please we
0: decided to um build our culture around five points which was uh trust self-reflection humility communication and trust and those are embodied every day um, the first step is around our interview process. So we actually screen for uh, those points in the screening process. So everyone starts with a screener with me to kind of get kind of a sense for that person if they kind of embody those elements. And before they ever go into their technical skills, like if they don't pass that, then we don't even test our technical skills. And at the end, we have more of a deep dive to make sure that those points are accounted for. And we also think like, everyone's human, everyone has growth potential, everyone has abilities to, um, or, you know, wants to be able to, is not perfect at everything, right? But we talk about as a team, are those person's growth areas comparable to the resources that we have to be able to support them in that growth, right? And so that's the first step. The second step is we define culture as what are the things that you reward and what are the things that you ultimately like punish or correct? And so every day we think like, is this interaction um, a thing that we want to reward, or is this thing that happened something that we want to give feedback on? and so as the day the day day comes, we've already like understood how everyone wants to have feedback, how everyone is good receiving feedback, and same thing for us as well um, as leaders, like people also embody this for us too, and so we help the other person if there's an action that we want to correct by just giving them feedback kind of on a day to day basis because we need to be able to make sure that like the, the culture is not just the thing that just kind of lingers. Right. And then it kind of goes off the rails
1: without, of course, making anyone feel unsafe on your team. Oh, a hundred percent. Can you give an example of like how this would work? Uh, the reward versus well, we don't probably punishment or the feedback and how these feedback cycles work. I mean, it's, it's, it's
0: simple. We, for example, like, people get very excited and very passionate. And we, if people are like talking over each other, which most people at this point have been working with us for over a year and they've kind of been trained not to at this point, but like, especially with like Zoom lag, but we just gently kind of remind everyone, like, let's take a beat. Right. And one of our engineers came to us and said like that they had felt that people would kind of talk over this person. And so like, we just kind of in our up ups, which is our version of stand ups, which I'll get to in a minute, we just said, "Hey, like the rule is we need to all count to two before the next person speaks, so that we can give adequate time for Zoom lag and have people not feel like they're being talked over, and that was the rule, and we calmly said that to everyone, and everyone abides by it period like that's very simple it's a it doesn't need to be more complicated than recognizing a behavior understanding how to have a crucial conversation with your team, which I, it's a book that I highly recommend. And then being able to deliver that as well. It's, it's really just as simple.
1: Wow. I mean, I've heard a lot of remote tips. And also I tend to get very excited to interrupt people. And never in my life has people, anyone said that? Like, just wait a <laughs> seconds, especially because when you're working on international teams, the lag is almost inevitable.
0: Yeah. And I think it... it it basically, it comes down to there are a lot of books and resources that I'm happy to recommend um, when I'm, when I'm done the sentence, <laughs> I guess, but like uh, it, it really is just as simple as understanding, like being observant and recognizing, is this a behavior that feeds into those five principles or is it a behavior that I want to try to provide some feedback on. And if you have the tools to be able to provide feedback effectively, and if your teammates are good feedback receivers, like they are self-reflective and humble, right? Um, And you provide transparency, then like having those conversations is actually quite easy when you have all of the tools and you're basing it off of a good framework.
1: People are always, see, I should have waited two seconds there. (laughs) People are always on their best behavior when they're at an interview, ideally. How do you ascertain more you say you have the first meeting how does that interview process go and how do you balance that because these are very noble goals but with the technical goals and also without just doing a ridiculously long interview that just you should be paying for totally so
0: um we follow a book called who the a plus method of hiring i know there are lots of other companies who i've heard also follow this methodology it's based on like 13,000 hours of interview research Um, for finding A players. Um, And our interview process is actually particularly short. The first meeting is 45 minutes um, where we kind of dive into some of these uh, kind of understanding this person is at a human level. And then we do two technical skills, uh, two technical interviews where we pair with with the candidate, like just as though it was a day-to-day working experience where like they can use whatever environment they want they can Google things, they can, it's not any whiteboarding, we're just working on a problem together, just as though it would be day to day. And then the following, the last interview is a kind of a longer interview called a top grade, which takes about two hours. And then somewhere in between that, we have that person uh, meet a few members of the team. And that's, that's really, uh, that's, that's really the process. We have pretty large chunks, but It basically takes four or five days or so. It's just very structured.
1: Wow. And when you say four or five days, you mean from start to finish and they find out? That's right. That's super impressive and highly rare. Right.
0: (laughs) Uh, Because we we followed and we've gotten really good at this structure. I've done this interview process hundreds of times. My co-founder has done this interview thousands of times. And so we are now in a position to kind of teach and train other people to be able to do it. But the book is very clear um, and we had really great success with it. And we know, I know a bunch of other companies who've also followed that. I know AppDynamics started to do work on this interview process. I know like Rupa Health started to, I heard on podcast that the founder did. So like, this is, it's not a, it's not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're saying it's not a a sauce that most people are not sampling because the average interview of most of my friends, whether it's tech or tech adjacent, is like seven interviews can last six weeks at that point. You're doing service for the company that should be paid for, but this is great. And we'll definitely include the link in the notes to the book. Yeah. And also
0: um, as one of our, that's mostly for engineers. For our designers, where where we've interviewed them, we have actually paid them. So we'll spend, um, we'll do the same kind of screener process. We'll do the same uh, top grade process as well. But their quote unquote technical interview is they work with me, the product person, and they worked with my CTO for the whole day. And we actually
1: cut them a check for spending the day with us. That's important. Thank you for that. (laughs) On behalf of the industry, those (laughs) listening need to do that more. I recently wrote an article covering Shanae Chapman's API Days London talk about fostering an inclusive developer experience. I love this topic. We're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, more, not enough. But I think it's very rare still in the developer experience place. And obviously, you're founder of a developer platform. What tactics do you have that we can create a more inclusive DX? Yeah.
0: So I honestly, I just recommend these resources. Read Crucial Conversations cover to cover and then read it again and then practice it every day. (laughs) The ability to have conversations and deliver them in a way that people still feel safe and they feel like Their safety isn't being compromised. And we as managers need to be able to deliver hard conversations to everyone and still have the pool of meaning and where safety is being threatened. Like we need to be able to protect that. And Crucial Conversations is an excellent framework for being able to have those hard conversations with one another. The other book that I highly recommend reading is Thanks for Your Feedback. It is a book not just for feedback givers, but also feedback receivers. It is how to give the right kinds of feedback at the right times, and there are actually different kinds of feedback. If you have a feedback mismatch, uh, then it's going to be really challenging to make sure that the message that you have is actually delivered. And then I uh, highly recommend that if you can, not everyone can, but if you can, design your culture to be inclusive from the ground up. So make sure that it's embodied in your interview process. Make sure that you've got written documentation thinking about how you want to uh, effectively collaborate. Or the flip side is you can decide to create your culture with your team. So being able to balance what you would prefer as, as a founder, but like making sure you have those processes in place, making sure that they're documented, making sure that you have an onboarding process that allows people to quickly follow up on those topics and know exactly what to do and when. And make sure that you, as a manager, get trained as a manager. Because we know that like managers are the biggest helps or hindrances to a person's career.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've heard the statistic, but you know statistics can be questionable. I've heard that 92% of HR people think people moved because of the jobs. And then like 85% actually moved or because of money and like 85% moved because of a bad manager. So I think it's honestly the most important part of someone's experience with their job and much more about retention than anything else. Same. Definitely <laughs> those are have to be living documents and processes that right. being, continue to be accountable need to be reflected all the time. We could talk all day, but we have to wrap up. So I have to ask the question that I ask at the end of all my makers interviews. So what is one thing our listeners can do to help someone else get a leg up in the tech industry?
0: Oh my gosh. Is there's? I just have to pick one thing.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Honestly,
0: I think if, whether or not this is like a shameless plug um, for, you know, for C and like onboarding to new code bases. I definitely think if, if someone doesn't want to use our tool, use someone's tool <laughs> to um, onboard to as many code bases as possible and understand as many code bases as possible. Contribute to open source is a great way to understand a lot of code bases because the more you can see, the more situations you can see, the more you can wrap your head around regular patterns or examples of things, uh, the faster up the ladder you will uh, you will go, whether that's just getting in or um, progressing.
1: And how's a way to help someone else with that? Like, how could you help someone else in the tech, join the tech industry or move up in the tech industry? If you have examples, right, like that you've seen passing
0: that along to someone else, basically making your own database of like tools and tips and sharing that along. I've had friends where we Pass interview tips back and forth. Where on our commutes, when we when we had commutes, uh, we'd call each other every day and just like practice interview skills and kind of keep those questions in like a like a doc that we can go back and easily refer to. Just being a partner to another person and helping them through it, and passing what you learn
1: on to someone else
0: is is a very simple way to help someone.
1: It all starts with having a conversation. That's super important. Yeah. This has been great, Sinead, to have you on again, because we have a million other things we want to talk about. Um, and I think you've sold a lot of books today for other people, which is the kind extra to do.
0: Amazing. I have so many book recommendations. Happy to follow up with all the things that I think will be, and I, that basically changed my life and, and made me a better leader and manager and just a better human. <laughs>
1: And what a gift to give back, give back to those writers that they've changed your life that way. That's a wonderful gift to feed back to them. This is Jennifer Riggins on the Newstack Makers talking to Shanae Eleven. Thank you and have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast to listen to more episodes on the Newstack Makers. Create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more articles and great stories, Go to the new